Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Good Wednesday afternoon. How's your day going? Well, I've had quite the adventure. Uh, earlier today, I thought I would be able to do a quick little Facebook Live, pop in and out of the drive through voting stations, the advanced voting stations around 10 o'clock this morning. Who's going to be there? It's 10 o'clock in the morning. It's way past the morning rush. It took me an hour, an hour to cast my vote in the advanced polling station. This is a pilot project for the city. I'll have more thoughts on it later on and you can go to our Facebook page. We put it up live, although we had to at one point say, okay, we got to take a break here. We don't want you just watching me in a car for a half an hour waiting. So very popular. Maybe all the media attention is part of that, but uh, I think it's a good idea. They just got to work out some big kinks. So we'll see. It's only three days. We'll see what happens maybe tomorrow and Friday. And if you had any experience with the drive-through, I've got a couple of uh, emails and texts on people who just went to the advanced polling stations and their experiences. So we'll, we'll talk about that later this afternoon. Another big story, of course, Today is the provincial government kind of laying out its plans as we move towards the legalization of recreational marijuana. And um, I think uh, I think overall, they've pretty much got it right. They're looking at limiting it to specialized stores. It won't be they won't be able to sell alcohol, tobacco or pharmaceuticals at well as well. It'll be like standalone mar- recreational marijuana stores. Staff is going to have to be trained. The big question is whether or not they are going to be government run stores or they will open it up to the private sector. I hope in this case uh, they say that they're still taking input Uh, from all the stakeholders. I'm hoping they don't go the government store route that we have seen with alcohol that we've got for many years now. It's been privatized. So I would like to think they do the same thing with that. And plus, I, I think a lot of Albertans would, first of all, if they go the government store route, we'll just say, well, of course, it's the NDP. They've got to support their base with the unions. So if they go against that, I think um, Rachel Notley might gain a few points there. And they are also looking at, you know, how much you can have, how much you can sell. So we're slowly getting this framework in place. You still have until the end of this month, October 27th, I believe, to be able to give your feedback on what they're seeing so far. And then yesterday we had uh, Justin Trudeau, our, our prime minister, talking about taxes. Let's talk taxes. This time, not about small business taxes. This is about the tax on cannabis. And they say that Ottawa is proposing an excise tax of a dollar per gram of cannabis for pot sales of up to $10 and then to 10% of the total price for pot selling at a higher price point. This is usually where I need your help as well, because I know we've kind of They've been proposing this whole $10 a gram. If you get a little bit higher than that, then you might be defeating the purpose of keeping it out of the the black market. And that's why I want to bring in Jim Parco, professor in the Department of Economics and Business at Colorado College. Professor Parco, thanks so much for joining us today. 
Hi, Angela, and thank you for having me. I wanted to look to Colorado because, of course, we you have had uh, legalized recreational marijuana for a while now. And as governments, different levels of government here in Canada, whether it be provincial or federal, start rolling out their plans, I thought we should look to a state that has experienced it for a while. When we talk about the price of cannabis, is there a sweet spot, Jim? Yeah, and let me just say for your listeners, I'm in a kind of an enigma. Not am I just a professor of economics and business. I actually do own three cannabis licenses. We have a store, a manufacturing facility, and a cultivation uh, here in Pueblo County, which was the first in the world to actually legalize. Uh, when you start talking about prices, uh, one of the mistakes that I think a lot of early states are making is they're overtaxing it. And what we're actually finding is that subsidy uh, is basic as a subsidy for the black market. Uh, $10 is a sweet spot. Uh, we have a, a very small dispensary, but we have a lot of people in a rural area uh, that are our customers. And we find once you get any product above about $20, uh, it, it becomes very, very difficult. So between 10 and $20 seems to be the modal uh, price of most items that sell. And I guess when you're saying between 10 and 20, just like wine, and it happens to be Wine Wednesday where I get to sample some wine, I'm assuming cannabis has different types of weed that people might want to pay a higher amount for. Yeah, I think that's a very good uh, analogy to compare it to wine. Uh, let's be honest, cannabis, uh, like most other products, it's a commodity. Uh, but people brand it. that It's got a different strain name. It's got a different phenotype, uh, a different terpene profile. But at the end of the day, it's like wine, but the connoisseurs really know their differences. Mm. Jim, I'm not sure if you had a chance to hear all the things that our provincial government is proposing, because ultimately that's what's going to happen. It's the province and the municipalities that are going to have to regulate how stores are opened, where they operate, how far they are from schools, similar things that we already see within our alcohol industry. Is that a a similar setup in Colorado when it comes to where you can actually have some of your stores? Yeah, and in fact, uh, you know, California was the first to really legalize here in the United States in 1996 under their medical laws. Colorado was the first to do adult use retail back in 2012, and we went into play in 2014. And the one thing that Colorado did right is they looked at the experience of states like California and other medical municipalities uh, that they didn't have the level of tight regulatory control that was necessary to gain the public trust. Uh, Colorado's model, as I look at other states across the U.S. and what I see now in Canada, really is the base for all these new models that we see kind of emerging because for the most part Colorado did get it right. Uh, they're very thoughtful in distances from schools, keeping out of the hands of kids, etc. cetera. Uh, but I think what I do know of the Canadian model, uh, it's not surprising that Canada once again is about the most progressive. Uh, not only are you getting all of it right, and I love the discussion they're having now on taxes because that's a very important one to kill the black market. But more importantly, unlike the United States, it is your federal government that's leading the effort. And I can't tell you what a benefit that's going to be to the industry there. Yeah, because we know, we always point out when people, when we talk about, well, look at the states. Well, only certain states. And the fact is the federal, your federal government hasn't recognized legalization of recreational marijuana. Absolutely. And I think people don't understand uh, a couple of things about the industry. First of all, Colorado, the first state to legalize adult use retail uh, in the United States, uh, we have 64 counties, but even that it's part of our Constitution now that you can have licensing, only 22 of 64 counties have actually embraced that. So just because it becomes legalized, even at the federal and the provincial level, it does not mean it's going to be available everywhere, because at the end of the day, it's one of those issues that really is locally controlled through licensure. And I'm guessing the Canadian model will 
will probably follow similarly in that regard as well. Jim, even our our parliamentary budget office, and this is our federal parliamentary budget office, they've talked about estimated tax revenues from cannabis could be in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year. We often hear, again, looking at the experience in the states, what governments have reaped when they have legalized marijuana. Do you have any numbers in that area? I do, and I'll tell you, first of all, this is the number one concern that any new municipality should pay attention to because it is so attractive for governments to overtax this because the revenues are immense. Mm-hmm. In Colorado, uh, we were pushing up to a billion dollars in sales after the first year. Last year it was 1.4. We're on you know, part of be a $1.8 billion industry in sales this year in the legalized market. Uh, Colorado had a 10% uh, retail tax that was put on our state level equal to your provincial level. It was supposed to go down to 8% this summer and instead they raise it to 15%. And that's great for the state. I mean, the tax dollars are flooding in. The problem is our black market is also thriving. So there's that, you know, the, the dialogue between the black market and tax revenue, they've got to really get this one right because if you overtax it, uh, that's what you can expect. I look at the tax revenue and I think uh, right now in Colorado, we're paying a, a burden in Pueblo County of about 33.5% of taxes on retail marijuana. I think we're probably... Uh, two times too high. I think an overall tax burden somewhere around 15% is probably the right number to get rid of the black market and also have the uh, state and local governments benefit from the sales. And you're saying the overall tax burden, so what you're paying to your municipality as well as your state, the overall yeah, cost again, there. Taxes come in all ways, but yeah. the two primary taxes that you see on cannabis are excise taxes that are levied on cultivators for the first transfer out of the cultivation, and then sales tax that the consumer pays at the register. Those two taxes usually are right around 33.5% here in Colorado. Jim, when you said $1.8 billion Colorado is bringing in in revenue from cannabis, is that just then the province picking that up, or do the municipalities then also get a big chunk of that? Uh, there's a, a revenue-sharing model at the yeah. state level on what they set. But here in Colorado, uh, there's um, I, I could go through all the taxes. I won't. It's, there's just too much. But we basically have state-level taxes, the provincial-level taxes. We also have county taxes. Mm. So you have excise and sales taxes at both the provincial and the local municipal level. Well, and only because as our federal government lays out what it's going to do with taxes, our provinces, which would be like your states, they're saying, wait a second, this shouldn't be 50-50. Provinces are bearing a lot of the burden. And then I'm sure municipalities can say the same thing, that they should get a bigger piece of that tax pie. So I think that's going to be a continuing of the part of the discussion. So I, I know that's important there. How has business been? Uh, business is good. But I will tell you, because of our tax structure, it's not at all profitable. Uh, for private enterprises, the only way you make money right now in this industry with such high tax burdens is to scale. You've got to be just a real large cultivator, a real large manufacturer. You know, my wife and I, we're a, the quintessential mom-and-pop shop. We have eight employees, but we're completely vertically integrated in a 3,000-square-foot facility. Uh, we bring in an awful lot of cash, but it all goes. And when I actually am seeing what I'm sending to the state every month in taxes, I would say the tax burden is so high, they're probably be making 10 times the amount of money that we make. Gee, okay, and I know that's going to be an issue then as we move. And as I mentioned, our province is still determining whether it's going to be uh, private retail operations, if it's going to be union operations. So there's still that discussion. But you don't want to discourage, especially the private retailer, because once again, you're, you're almost feeding into the black market in a way. 
absolutely. And the question really is, is do you want to create jobs for people? And to do so, there's no better job creator than the private economy. Uh, but you do need government oversight. And the Canadians have typically you know, gotten this one right. So I'm looking at the dialogue between your federal government and the provinces. And I think it's the right dialogue to have. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, you, because your federal government's leading the effort, you guys have a hope of succeeding on this. Jim, hold on. Lots more questions here, especially when it comes to making sure marijuana, once it's legalized, doesn't end up in the hands of young people. Jim Parco is my guest, professor in the Department of Economics and Business at Colorado College. Definitely will open up the phone lines and the texts at 3.30 so you can start to fire off your texts as we get a few more details when it comes to how the world of legalized marijuana is going to look in Canada. We're back after this. Well, we are talking about marijuana, and uh, sometime next year, the federal government, well, they say July 1st, although there has been uh, criticism about their dragging their feet, and other people are saying, can we extend it a little more than that? They're moving too quickly, so we'll see when it actually happens. But Jim Parco is a professor in the Department of Economics and Business at Colorado College. But as Jim rightly pointed out, uh, Jim, how many stores do you own? Did you say you won? It's just one store. It's also a manufacturing facility and a cultivation All right, so you come at it from uh, different perspectives here. When we have this discussion, though, and I'm already getting the text from uh, parents and concerned parents that they, the biggest concern they have is that when marijuana is legalized, it means more young people are going to be able to get their hands on it. What have you seen in Colorado? Well, I look at this as always the rhetoric and reality because any parent, and I have two daughters myself, these are concerns that you always have about you know, what, what really is going to happen. Uh, so we're looking at three years of data. Uh, there have been several studies here in Colorado looking at increase in teen use access. Uh, but what we see is there's actually been no increase in usage by teens uh, over the last 30 years, uh, despite the fact it's been available, in part is because it's how tightly it's controlled and regulated. When you look at where kids get uh, you know, prescription medications, access to firearms, drugs, it's not from legalized retail channels. It's from the black market and, you know, in, in the house, you know, the unlocked medicine, kit chest, et cetera. So at the end of the day, what we've really seen, it's like anything else. Think about prescription medications. Uh, you know, when it's legalized, they're not getting it from the stores. They're getting it from, uh, you know, private grows, people in their backyard, or, or you, know, you know, from their friends at school. But when people walk into our store, they understand that, you know, this is a product that is a controlled substance. And we just don't see any issues whatsoever Uh, in terms of teen usage. And again, I'm basing this on studies that have been done, not anecdotal evidence. Our province is saying that the stores are going to be specialized stores. They won't be able to sell tobacco, alcohol, any other pharmaceuticals. Similar situation in Colorado. Is that all you're allowed to sell? In fact, it's even more restrictive. I can't sell anything that is not infused with marijuana. So I can't give Halloween candy away. I can't, you know, sell anything else. Because when people walk in our store, it is a specialized store. It's freestanding. Nothing else can be in the store on the premise. But people understand when they come into our store and they buy something, it is going to have marijuana in it. So there's no confusion what you're getting when you walk into a store like ours. So you would be in agreement with making sure they are just standalone stores? Oh, absolutely. I think the, you've got to think about structure, and it comes in terms of regulations, it comes in terms of physical facilities and how you set things up. But if you really want to protect young people, uh, the way to do it is to actually create structure, both in regulations and physical plant and property, to make sure they don't have access. You mentioned, I think it was eight employees you have? We do. Highly trained. 
Yeah, we pulled every one of them out of the unemployment line. Uh, these were, you know, underprivileged, you know, people that you know just were struggling in a town that had lost our major industry about 25 years ago. We had a plant, uh, the steelmaking plant, that employed 25,000 people in a town of 100,000. They closed in 1982, and since then we have struggled as a, as a local community. So when they legalized cannabis, we were one of the first ones to come forward and say, you know what, let's our community do this because we need the jobs and the tax revenue. We did so, and it's been quite successful for us. Uh, but the people that are in the industry. They are very highly trained. Uh, it's like any other industry. It's a craft. But uh, you've got the retail s- associates that are like any other retail, whether you're selling jewelry or pharmaceuticals. Uh, but then on the extraction side, it's much more highly mechanical on the cultivation side. It's commercial agriculture. So it's just been neat to see the expansion of the types of jobs we have in our community. And we're pulling people out of the unemployment line and putting them to work, and uh, all boats are rising. Jim, we'll definitely touch base with you again just as we see our tax things fall into place and everything else. So I really appreciate your perspective. My pl- oh, I don't think hey. I did that. Oh, I think he just was cutting off. But anyway, thanks, Jim. Uh, Jim Parco, professor in the Department of Economics Business at Colorado College. 403-974-8255. I want to throw it over to you. That's the number to call and text We're getting more of a framework here. What do you think of the province's ideas? What do you think of the federal governments when they're talking about the tax structure? I'm Angela Kokon. You're listening to Calgary Today. We've got news coming up next.